You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. something for you? Has he been good to you? Do you have a testimony here tonight of something that he's done in your life? Oh, let's just lift up a praise, God. You have been so good to us, God. Lord, you are faithful, Jesus. God, there are testimonies in this place of lives that you've healed and minds that you've healed, Jesus. God, you have been our comfort and our strength. God, in times where we felt like there was no answer, God, you came through. And we give you the praise. We give you the glory. God, we know, Lord, that you are able. God, we've seen it before, and we believe for it again, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. We exalt you, God. You are worthy of all the praise, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, we worship you, God. Oh, we praise your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, let's just lift up that praise. He's deserving of everything we have. Oh, give him your all here tonight. Lord, you're worthy, God. Oh, you deserve the highest praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, God, for all that you've done in this place. Thank you, Lord, for the lives that you've changed. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, music team, for leading us in worship. Oh, it's so good to be gathered together in the house of God here tonight. And you can all be seated. I believe that God has a word for his church tonight. And as I was preparing for tonight, I was thinking on what God wanted me to share. And there was a story that came to my mind. And it was a story that I had heard quite a while ago. Uh, But it felt quite fitting, so I thought I might share it with you here tonight. So this story, there were two girls, they got on a bus and they started talking. And as they were talking, the one girl told the other, she said, well, have you heard that Sarah got engaged? And the other said, no, I didn't hear that. That's so exciting that Sarah got engaged. But she's kind of sloppy, kind of unorganized. I don't know what kind of wife she'll be. Oh, and do you remember that time that she cooked for us? It was pretty bad. I don't know. Her husband might starve. And uh, she really likes to shop. She spends a lot of money. They're going to have trouble making it from month to month. And it went on and on and on. And there's this woman sitting behind them. And so she got their attention and said, excuse me, I just wanted to introduce myself. My son just got engaged to Sarah. And now that I've heard all about her, I'm definitely going to encourage him to break off this engagement. So the girls, shocked, they started to struggle for words, and nervously they said, no, 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 please don't let him break off the engagement. Sarah's wonderful. She's going to make a great wife. She's so nice and friendly and warm. And we were just talking. We didn't mean any harm. Please don't break off the engagement. But the woman was adamant. She said, Thank you, but after everything you've said, I really feel like I should tell 
my son to break off this engagement. The person you've described sounds like a terrible person. So defeated and embarrassed, the girls kind of shrunk down in their seat. And a moment of silence happened. And the lady turned back to the girls and said, I'm not actually the boy's mother, but imagine if I was. Just because you had nothing else to talk about, you could have destroyed this couple. Your words matter. Use them wisely. And with that, she got off the bus. So tonight, I believe that God wants to talk to us about our words. The words that we say, but also the way that we can speak life into our situations and the world around us. Proverbs 18.21 says that the tongue has the power of life and death. And when God inspired the author of Proverbs to write this, it wasn't meant to be some big exaggeration to try to get the reader's attention. No, God was actually trying to get us to have a wake-up call to really understand how incredibly powerful our words are. And many of you can testify to this because you remember a few distinct words that were spoken to you over your lifetime, whether it was from a parent or a teacher or a coach or a friend. Maybe they were words of life. or Maybe they were words of death. The words built you up and encouraged you, or maybe they tore you down. See, the fact that our words have power is a concept that God, God has hardwired into the universe. If we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, we see that the world started with nothing. It was this big empty void. Then in Genesis 1 verse 3, we see that God spoke into this nothingness, into this void, and something was created. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So from the very beginning, God used words to create the universe. God spoke and it happened. At the creation of the world, God spoke, and it brought life. God spoke, and there was light. As people who were created in the image of God, we too have the power to use our words to create, to bring life. When you think about everything that God created, the sun, the moon, the stars, the waters, the plants, the animals, humanity was the only creation that was made in his image. And as a creation that was made in the image of God, one of our defining characteristics is the gift of words, something that the rest of creation doesn't have. As Proverbs said, this gift, he advises, it has power, power of life and power of death. In Genesis, we see a clear example of both. Genesis 1, we see this example of words bringing life as God speaks the world into existence. Not too long later in Genesis chapter 3, we see the example of the exact opposite, where Satan speaks destruction. Now, a lot of the time when we're talking about the initial fall of humanity, we'll really focus on Adam and Eve eating the fruit. But when you think about it, it really started a little bit before that with an unwise conversation. It started with the words of a serpent, words that were meant to manipulate, words that were used to tempt and persuade. Genesis 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God made. He said to the woman, 
did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Not only did Satan use words to destroy, but he also attacked the words that had been spoken by God. Did God really say that? He attacked the words that were meant to bring life. And Eve entertained a conversation with a negative voice. And because she allowed those words to speak into her life, it led to the initial fall of humanity. So here, right from the beginning, we see the power of life and death that comes from words. And the reality is that when we speak, we have a choice. The choice to be like Satan or be like God with our words. We can choose to use our words to destroy, to manipulate, to tempt, to beat down, or we can use our words to create, to encourage, to inspire, to build up, to bring life. See, God has given us the gift of words, and with this gift and the Holy Spirit living in us, we have the power to do the supernatural. But just like every other gift that God has given his people, the devil tries to ruin it. The uncreative, lame way of the devil is to just take something good and try to make it bad. He just takes it and tries to distort it. He will try to get us to misuse the gift that we've been given. And as a follower of Christ, it's our job to be vigilant, to be aware, not to give in to the trickery. We need to make sure that we aren't misusing the gift that we've been given. So we need to always be reflecting on our words. Be self-aware enough to admit when there might be something that might need a little bit of adjustment. We need to be aware enough to make sure that when we speak, it looks more like God than the devil. Romans chapter 6 says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. It says don't offer any part of yourself for an instrument of sin. That includes your tongue, or for those using ASL, your hands. You make sure that everything you are doing is glorifying God. Don't allow your words to be an instrument of sin. Make sure that they're an instrument of righteousness. See, our human nature, it wants to control us and tempt us to sin. There are circumstances around us that make us want to say things that we shouldn't. And James warns us of this in chapter 3. He tells us that sometimes it's hard to not say things that you shouldn't. He says, no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our, fa- our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings we, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursings. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Now, it's a little bit discouraging, right? <laughs> I'm telling you that you uh, need to be careful what you say. And then James says, no human can tame the tongue. So what do we do? We were just told that as a human, we can't tame the tongue. But then I also just told you that it's really important that you only say things that build up and don't tear down. So the question is, how do we tame it? What do we do? What determines what words we speak? The answer is the condition of our heart. See, when the Holy Spirit's at home in our heart, He gives us the power to control our tongue. When Jesus Christ is the Lord of your heart, he will be the Lord of your words too. 
Matthew says, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Our words are an indicator of our heart. See, when things annoy us, when the pressure starts rising, that's when we have to be really careful because those bumps will start to reveal what's inside, and what's inside is going to come out. And when your heart, whatever your heart is full of, is what your mouth is going to speak. So whatever you're pouring into your life, all of the voices that you're allowing to influence your life will affect what comes out of your own mouth. See, we've been given free will, and just like every other part of the Christian walk, we have to make a choice. We have to decide what we're going to allow to influence us and what fences we're going to put up to make sure that our hearts aren't full of all this rottenness. Proverbs 13.3 says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Now, I understand that to some of you, this feels like a soft message. You know, you've heard it all before. It's not something new. So I can already see the <laughs> glazed over eyes of, I've heard this, been there, done that. So you aren't actually sitting there genuinely considering some things that need changed in your life. But I would be remiss if I didn't share the next two verses in Matthew 12, because they really tell us how important this topic is, how important our words are. It says, I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. So this isn't a light matter. And as James 1.22 says, don't just be hearers of the word tonight, but be doers of it. We can all improve in this area. So be careful to look inside yourself. Be honest with yourself about where you might need to make some adjustments. Maybe it's an issue of dwelling on negative thoughts that seep out into your words. Or maybe it's being overly critical, judgmental. Maybe it's needing to stop conversations with others that tend to tear down instead of build up. Maybe it's negative self-talk where you're feeding your insecurities or your anxiety or your depression. Or maybe it's a change in the people or influences that you're allowing to speak into your life and pollute your heart. Let's look at the people we surround ourselves with, for example. If you know that your time of fellowship with certain people is going to lead to, you know, always drifting to these negative conversations, then this is your wake-up call tonight. Do something about it. Have a conversation with those friends or family members and be clear. Let them know that you don't want those negative conversations to be a part of your time together anymore. Make a commitment to each other that when you are together, you will only talk about things that bring life and hold them to it. And if the people in your life don't want to change, then that's when you need to make some hard decisions because you need to protect your mind from things that are going to bring destruction. See, part of being a mature Christian is ensuring that we're consistently contributing to building up the body of believers. In Ephesians, it talks about how part of this maturing is in the way that we talk. 
Ephesians 4 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed to and fro by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So there comes a point in our Christian maturity that we need to be contributing to growing and building the body through our words. And whether you've been around church for a long time or only a short time is not an indicator of your spiritual maturity. See, this portion of scripture gives us an indicator of your spiritual maturity. It says that if you are personally building up the body of believers, you're personally building up the church, then that is an indicator of your maturity. Verse 15 tells us that we grow in that maturity by speaking the truth in love. So how do you accomplish that? How do you speak the truth in love? Well, if you look at that phrase, there's kind of two parts to it. Speaking the truth. So you need to know the truth in order to speak the truth. But then you need to know how to do it in love. Well, how do you learn how to do it with love? Well, the best source for learning how to do anything with love is going to the source of love himself, God. So God will teach you how to do it with love. Now, if you're like me, (laughs) these biblical concepts really make a lot more sense if you have a real-life example with it because my brain doesn't always wrap around it quite so easily. So let me give you an example. Imagine that someone made a decision that you didn't agree with. Maybe someone offended you. And you feel this strong urge to just share it. You just need to say something. You just need to talk about it. And I'm an external processor, so I get that. I like talking things through. So I understand. But let's say that you have such strong opinions about the situation that you know you really don't have much nice or positive to say, and you really can't guarantee that it's going to be said in love because you just feel so strongly about this. Well, then what do you do? Well, when you look at this indicator of mature Christians speaking the truth in love, well, the love part isn't really conditional. Like, that's kind of a given. You have to do it in love. So if you know that you can't do it in love, then what? Well, you go to the source of love until you catch on, until you figure out how to do it in love. That means that at this point, when you're still feeling this way, The only person you should be having that conversation with is God because he's the only one who can teach you how to go about it with love. And I've noticed in my own life that when something is really burning on my heart or I'm really fired up about something and I go to God about it instead of someone else, see, God has this way of diffusing all the negative feelings about the situation and giving me a little bit of perspective because God's love. So the best way to learn how to speak in that love language, is to bring it to God first. See, there have been times when I've gone to God and maybe it was someone hurt me or mistreated me and I would go to God and I'd talk to him about how bad I felt about being hurt and he'd talk to me about how I can show more love and how I can have more compassion for the pain in that person's life that might be leading them to act this way. And by the end of the conversation, my initial tears that were pity for myself, end up turning to tears of prayer for that person. 
See, God has a way of changing our perspective. Now, don't get me wrong. I haven't always been perfect at this. I wish I could say that I've done that every time, and I've never gone to a third party to talk about it, but that would be a lie. God has taught me, though, that every situation doesn't need to have that third party opinion. Every offense doesn't have to go through a third party. As you mature, you'll learn that there are some things you can just bring to God and leave it with him. We always have to be careful and intentional about the words that we speak, taking time to think about whether or not what we say is necessary or beneficial. When used appropriately, our words have the power to change a life for the better. See, Jesus spoke to that woman at the well and changed her life and the lives of all our neighbors. Peter preached at Pentecost, and 3,000 souls came to salvation. See, our words can be used to help, encourage people who need that encouragement. Proverbs says that the lips of the righteous feed many. And Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And as we share his word with others, we feed them spiritually and encourage them along the way. Part of speaking life into the world around us is sharing that truth of the gospel with them. Paul, the writer of Ephesians, he claimed that boldly speaking the gospel was how he ought to speak. He said, as for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now as followers of Christ or ambassadors of Christ, we too have been commissioned to boldly share the gospel. And if we're rooted in the things of God, then our words are going to reflect that. The fruit that we produce from our life is going to be a reflection of the state of our heart. James 1.26 says, If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Basically, James is saying, you can call yourself religious if you want, but if you don't control the things you say, then your religion doesn't really mean much. And the reason he says that is because our speech, the things we say and the way we say it, is a huge part of a Holy Spirit-led life. See, the tongue has the potential to uplift and destroy. Just a few words can damage those around us, but the opposite is also true. Just a few words can heal and uplift and encourage those around you. On average, a person opens their mouth about 700 times a day um, to speak. I know there are a few in here that probably aren't like that. Um, some of you don't talk very much, but that's the average. Some of you kind of even the other people out by talking a lot. So this is 700 times. That's a lot of chances to be either destructive or constructive. And knowing the power of the tongue, it's so important that we ask God to guard us, to make sure that what we speak is acceptable in his sight. Ask him to allow you to be sensitive to what words are going to bring encouragement to someone today. Ask him to show you when someone is receptive to hearing about the hope of Christ. Help him, ask him to help you be sensitive when you speak. Like, how many times have we thought something that would have been encouraging to say, but we just never bother to tell the person? You know, when we don't share with these people, we miss a beautiful opportunity. By saying the right thing at the right time, we can change a person's outlook on life. 
Proverbs says, a person has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. Now, I was dating this guy one time. I won't mention any names, but his name rhymes with the number seven. So if you can figure that out, I don't know. Well, one day, he told me that he thought I was beautiful. Aw, that's so nice of him. Well, I realized when he said that that I hadn't heard it in a while. So I asked him, you know, why don't you say that very much? And he said, well, I guess I thought you already knew. I just thought it was obvious. And it made me think, well, it's still really nice to hear it. And sometimes we can be like that with people in our lives. We can think something great about someone or think of something encouraging to say and keep ourselves from saying it, maybe because we think they already know it or don't need to hear it or because we think, ah, it won't matter either way. But our words can be powerful enough to brighten someone's day, to encourage someone to get closer to God, to give someone hope, to make someone feel loved, or completely change the course of someone's life. So if you feel like encouraging someone and wonder if you should, do it. If you feel to share hope of salvation with someone, to remind someone of how good God is, do it. Take every opportunity to speak life into other people's lives. Use scriptures to give hope to those around you. When God started talking to me about what he wanted me to share tonight, it was while I was reading Matthew 4. And in this chapter is when we read of the instance when Jesus went into the wilderness and was tempted of the devil. And as I was reading it that day, God started to talk to me about some things that he wanted me to take note of in this passage. Here, we see not only the power of our words, but even greater, the power of his word. Matthew 4, starting with verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, so they will lift you up in their hands, so they will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So something that is definitely worth mentioning here is God is all powerful. And quite literally, in this moment, he could have just cast Satan away with a single breath. No effort at all. Think about it. We read in Revelations 20 that the coming battle of Armageddon, there's going to be one angel that's going to throw him into the bottomless pit. So really, on that day when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Satan was no threat. Let's be real. He was like this little nuisance, like this little mosquito that you could squish between your fingers. You know, it makes us wonder, why didn't God just squash the annoying little thing and get it over with now? Well, one of the incredible things about the New Testament 
is that through Jesus' life, we see example after example of how we can walk like Christ. And he did this to help our Christian journey. So when he was tempted in the wilderness was no different. Jesus, both fully God and fully man, used this example. He taught us the power of words. We see here that when Jesus is tempted, he uses words to speak life. And you'll see he doesn't use just any words. He speaks the scripture. Deuteronomy 8.3, man should not live on bread alone. 6.16, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 6.3, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He quoted the scriptures that he had been learning from a young age. And as children of God made in his image, we have the power to use scriptures to speak life into our situations and to command death and darkness to flee. See, the Bible makes it clear that as followers of Christ, we're able to do even greater works than Jesus did during his time here on earth. That means that at minimum, when we speak the word, we have the power to make Satan go away. You can change the atmosphere. You can change your situation when you speak the word. So when you're going through it, use the word of God as your defense. The best way to fight against things that plague your mind, the things that are wearing you down, the things that are tearing your family apart, the things that are distancing you from God is to speak life, to speak scripture. Replace your doubts, your negative thoughts, your fears with the word of God. And don't only think it, but say it out loud. Let the darkness of the world around you know that it has no place in your life. See, when the enemy tries to say, oh, you messed up too much, you combat that with the word and you say, I am not condemned. I have been set free by God's grace. When you feel alone, you say, it is written. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. When you feel overwhelmed, you say, it is written. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When you feel spiritually dead inside, you say, it is written. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and I will come to life. So even now, as I am just saying these words, I feel his spirit here because when you speak the word of God, there is power. There is power. It is alive. The word is alive. So when you are going through a situation, whenever you have something happening in your life, the best way to battle it is with the word of God. Over the last decade, I have shared this here before, but I've started to share my testimony about overcoming my struggle with fear. And at times, that fear, it was something that I had built up in my mind. And at other times, it was a legitimate threat around me. But what I noticed was in these times, whether it was in my mind or in front of me, the way that I defended was the same. My defense was the same. Whether it came from my mind or my circumstances, the way I battled it was by speaking the word of God. I would say the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard my heart and my mind. And just by speaking his word and proclaiming his promise, it would bring me peace. The kicker is that in order to speak the scripture, you need to know the scripture. We see in Luke 2 that even Jesus focused on learning and knowing the scriptures as a young boy. As was the custom for the Jewish boys, he memorized and studied these scriptures. Now, some of you have been reading and studying the scriptures for a long time, so it's going to be easier for you to just whip out a scripture that speaks to your situation. But there's always more to learn. 
those of you who haven't started studying the scriptures, this is the time to start. The scripture is quick and powerful and alive, and there's power when you speak it. In addition to reading, studying the Bible, surround yourself with his words. Incorporate it into your daily life. Put it around your house, whether it's a piece of decor that has an encouraging verse or a whiteboard with a verse on your fridge or a sticky note on the mirror. Just let it become so ingrained in your mind that when you face a trial, tribulation, temptation, transgression, that you'll have a bank to pull from that you can just throw at that situation. Instead of letting your feelings and your emotions take over, you'll instead be able to remember what God has to say about that situation. Saturate your life with it. I started Bible quizzing when I was four years old, and I did it every year until I was in university. Now, when I was four, I didn't know how to read yet, so my parents would go line by line and read the line and get me to repeat it after them, until I could say the whole verse. And they did that until I was able to read. But that first year when I was four, they did that for 150 verses. So I learned 150 verses that year as my foundation, and then every year just put onto that. Well, do I remember every word of every verse that I learned? Of course not. My brain does not work that way. But I can tell you that there have been times that I have needed a verse, and one came to my mind that I didn't even realize I knew. Or someone would say something, and it didn't sound quite right, and God would put a verse on my heart that led me to what his word said and what was truth. And when that scripture, when those scriptures are in your heart, they're there as a bank to pull from. Now, Obviously, some of you are too old for Bible quizzing, or maybe you just don't like the competitive nature of it. I get it. That's totally fine. I'm not here to recruit. Although, if you're interested in joining next year, please see Mary Lee after service. My point here is that you need to find some way to get those scriptures in your head and in your heart. Because what's in your heart is what's going to come out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if what's going to come out of your heart is scripture, well, then you're well set. Psalms 119 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Our prayer tonight ought to be similar to those of the psalmist. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Now, we're all human here, so I can guarantee that some of you, as you were listening, you thought of something that maybe you shouldn't have said or maybe you could improve on a little bit. Maybe it was being a little too critical, judgmental, too negative. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe you even tried to justify it by thinking, well, I only told like one or two people, so it wasn't really that big of a deal. But see, this verse in Psalms, it tells us oh, that's actually still kind of an issue because it's not only what's coming out of your mouth that's the problem, it's also what's going on in your heart. What you're thinking about is also going to be a problem. See, if you're negative about everything that someone does and you only tell one person, it doesn't change the fact that there's a heart issue. See, even the meditation of our heart 
needs to be acceptable to God. There was this science experiment where the scientists were studying the brain, and they were monitoring these uh, subjects' brain activity while they were hearing auditory negative words and then imagined negative words. So what they were hearing and what they were thinking. And what they found in that study was that whether negative words, whether they were spoken, heard, or thought, they didn't only cause a repeated negative cycle, but they also were affecting people's stress and anxiety. So over time, they tried to go the opposite. They put sustained positive thought for these subjects, and the functions in their brain started to change. As a result, it started to change people's perception of themselves as well as the people around them. It trained them to start seeing things in a positive light. Well, both science and, let's be real, more importantly, the Bible, tells us that once we start to focus on the positive, we start to think on things that are good, holy, good report. Then we start to see the good in the situations, the people around us. This holds true for us individually and collectively. A church culture that is created around individuals who are practicing positive internal thought and positive external conversation is going to be a strong church. See, when we choose to fill our mouth with positive words, we bring healing to ourselves as well as to those around us. Proverbs 16 says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Music, I'll have you come back. Let's just think about what those verses are saying. The right words can literally bring healing to the people around you as well as to your own soul. Whether you're dealing with bitterness, hate, physical, emotional pain, you can use words to bring healing to your life. See, your world can be falling apart, and your situation can be desperate, but you have the power to build yourself up through your words. You have the choice to either sit around and talk about how nothing's going to change, no one understands how you feel, your situation is too much for you to handle, or you can speak life. And you can talk about the fact that you serve a God who has never left you. You serve a God who understands your pain, and you serve a God who is strong enough to strengthen you during your trial. Let's all stand tonight. See, we get to choose whether or not we're going to speak life or death for ourselves and for those around us. And tonight, God is challenging us to grow into maturity, to take inventory of our words. Are you speaking life? Or are you speaking death? Are you building up the body of Christ, yourself included? You know, because the tongue is unruly, this is a constant consideration for every Christian. You never outgrow the need to take a fresh look at this issue. Tonight, I invite us as a congregation to humbly come before God inviting him to search us, to show us where we can grow in this area, because I guarantee that every one of us can grow someplace. 
Take inventory of whether or not your words are pleasing to God. And if not, ask for his help. Pray like the psalmist prayed, creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.